Hi, everyone. Thanks for taking time to stop by the campfire. I'm your host, Cole Kelly. If you didn't know it already, summer camp in the United States was started mainly by school teachers in the late 1800s and early 1900s. They were English teachers and coaches and school nurses and athletics directors and math teachers. They wanted to develop a place where kids could thrive, where they could learn about the great outdoors and about themselves. Fast forward a century and some change, and campus is still a learning environment built specifically for kids. However, rather than being mostly teacher-led, summer camps are predominantly led by full or part-time summer camp professionals. Rather than a side or a summer business, camp, in its many forms, is mostly run by professionals who give it their full attention. While I believe the professionalism of the camp industry has been, on the whole, a very positive development, there's been a serious loss of input from the ranks of school teachers, incredible professionals in their own right. Given this change, I want to learn a bit more about what teachers go through, how summer camp affects them, and how we can marry, if you will, the best of both worlds. Thankfully, I know a perfect person to talk to about being professional in both realms. If you've listened to the podcast of the past, you have no doubt heard from Dana Stassen and her fantastic thoughtfulness and wisdom. A teacher turned camp professional who has since melded the two worlds, Dana's around the campfire to talk about all things summer camp, all things classroom, and how the two can help each other out. Without further ado, let's hear from my good friend, Dana Stassen. Dana Stassen, I am so happy to have you around the campfire. Yay, I'm so happy to be back around the campfire. <laughs> so we have, we have shared a ton of campfires together and talked a lot. We've talked a lot on this podcast. Um, I really wanted to get you back around the campfire here digitally because you've had a really fun change kind of in, in life course. A little bit a different chapter has opened up for you while you are still the assistant director of Camp Aquaic, and we can't wait to have you back uh, next summer. You're also gone back to your original job, which you had before yes. you got into camp, back into teaching. How's that going? Um, it is a whirlwind. Um, it is amazing. It is energizing. Um, it feels really, really good to be back in the classroom, um, particularly because I have had so much extra bonus experience working with kids in the camp setting. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that I'm very much a very different teacher this go round than I was when I was a teacher fresh out of college for many reasons. All right. So let's just dive in. What, what are some yes. of those reasons? Sure. So being a parent, I think definitely has changed <laughs> yeah. how I teach, right? Because, you know, I was 21 when I first got my, my very first teaching job, teaching third grade, and I'd only babysat at that point. And so just thinking about all that happens to a child in the morning before they get to school and how that impacts who shows up in your classroom and what you need um, to be able to give them, like how you need to be emotionally there for them. I didn't, that did not resonate with me as a 21 year old. It was, this is the curriculum that I need to teach. Of course, I'm going to be warm and friendly, but thinking about you know, how they woke up that morning. Did they sleep well the night before? Did anyone hug them before they left for school that morning? All of those things now as a parent, I know the impact that they have on, like I said, who shows up in the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, and then working at camp taught me that the magic is in the fun that you get to have with kids. And whether you're teaching an activity, leading a program area, leaving an e leading an evening activity or teaching math, you can find ways to 
get, get that magic in there so that you're creating memorable moments for your students or for your campers um, in the big and the little ways. And so it has helped me to kind of see my classroom um, as a place where I can bring some of the magic and the joy of camp into a place that sometimes, and for a lot of kids, doesn't feel like there's a lot of magic or joy in it. Got it. Yeah. Has that been, what's the transition been like for you? Because, you know, that's a pretty big change, but yet I know you've been at the school quite a bit. I know you subbed for a while, but what's the transition been like? Um, The transition has been, it, it's been interesting because I came back into the classroom having been out of the classroom for about eight years, but mm -hmm. having almost 10 years of experience prior to that. Mm -hmm. So a lot has changed in education, but a lot has remained the same. So just getting my feet underneath me those first couple of weeks at school and realizing, okay, I am responsible for these 18, 19 humans that are in front of me and making sure that I give them enough so that they're successful for the next year or, you know, for life and those kinds of things. And so it's important. And so I don't take any of that lightly. And so one of the things that I have worked really hard at is asking questions, asking for feedback, being willing to listen and be open to new and different ideas. Um, because I don't know all the newest and latest, you know, trends in education or that sort of thing. Like I've tried to keep my finger on the pulse a little bit, but it's not the same as being in the classroom day in and day out. And so while working at camp has kept me current in terms of like pop culture and like what kids are into the education piece, I had a little bit of catch up, you know, to do. And luckily I've got a really great team um, who's been, they've been amazing resources for me. Um, and then, you know, just the transition to not working in my home mm -hmm. and <laughs> setting a, an alarm very early in the morning so that I can exercise in the morning and shower and get myself together um, and like put on clothes <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> start a car and drive to a job every day has been a big transition. And I'm so grateful that Scrappy is still here at home working. And because we've had a couple of moments where the kids have gotten sick and somebody needs to pick them up and bring them home. And so that has been a literal godsend for sure. Um, and then thinking in terms of like energy management. Mm, yeah, because that's a very different day. It is a very different day. And one of the things that I was really, really nervous about going back into the classroom, because I know how much energy it takes to be a good and effective teacher, right? And I didn't want to, I never want to do anything halfway. And so, but I didn't want to compromise what I'm able to give to my own family mm -hmm. um, because I'm so tired giving to everybody else's kids or, you know what I mean? And being that right. kind of person. So I've had to really think about how do I give enough to serve my students and also reserve enough so that I can be a mom and a wife and a friend um, and a mentor and all of the other things. And I've had to learn to say no to some things, which, you know, me, the people pleaser <laughs> me is devastating to have to say, no, I can't do that thing. <laughs> that must make you itch. If you say it no. makes me like, like yeah. physically uncomfortable to have to say no to things. And I had to last week and I was like, I just, I know that if I go, I'm giving up something else. I'm giving up some time with my family and I'm going to push myself to the brink of exhaustion and then I won't have anything left to give anybody else. Yeah. And that's something that we stress a lot at, at camp as well because you know our best counselors want to give every ounce of themselves to their campers, you know, to Aquaic, 
But you do that and over an extended period of time, you've got nothing left to give and you end up getting sick or falling apart. And then we're really missing you. So I think camp has taught me that. Um, It's still a very, very hard and tricky thing to navigate, but it has helped me make sure that I don't get home. And the first thing I do is collapse on the couch and I don't even see my kids. So I, the drive home, I crank up the music, open the windows and I'm like, okay, time for round two. Let's go make it happen. (laughs) And I think camp has taught me that resilience in terms of, you know, energy for sure. Awesome. So, and that, that actually kind of segues nicely to something I wanted to pick your brain about, which is, you know, teachers used to be a really huge moving force, a big, big part of, of summer camp, whether it be day camp or, or sleepaway camp, you know, and, you know, people like you, Camp Mom Judy, mm-hmm. we've got some teachers that come back year after year um, at Waquave, but those numbers have really fallen across the board. Now that you're back in the teaching role, what are, what are some of the things you think that are, are causing that? That's a, I mean, that is, that is a great question. And I think it's a couple of things. So, um, because giving, you know, being a teacher is giving of all of yourself, all the days for 10 months out of the year, Mm -hmm. but some people just don't have anything left to give when Mm -hmm. the last school day is done. And to be honest, it would probably be a detriment, um, for some of those folks to be in, a high, fast paced, like super energetic, like very, you know, you have to be plugged in kind of environment at camp if they don't have enough time to kind of reset and recharge their batteries. And a lot of teachers that I know are very type A like I am and don't want to do anything halfway. And so they'll do the full year teaching all the way, do a full sprint through the summer, and then they're toast at the beginning of the school year. Um, And so I think, you know, energy time for sure is one factor. And I think, I don't know how many teachers know that summer camp exists. (laughs) Because I mean, I taught for a long time in Maryland, never even thought about doing anything except for teaching summer school during the summer. I did that for a couple of times or took classes. Um, And it wasn't until I moved to Atlanta and I met Tiny Mm -hmm. and she was like, you have the summers off. You're coming to camp with me. And I was like, what are you even talking about? So I think advertising it more to teachers, just putting it out there because it's probably not, you're probably not going to get like a lot of mom teachers, you know, cause right. they want to spend the summers with their kids unless they can bring them to camp. But when I was 21 or 22 years old, mm-hmm. This would have been a dream to go oh, yeah. and do this, you know. Totally. So well, and and you did. I mean, the PT cruiser and the dog came on up. <laughs> yes, so exactly. Like, Let's oh, Let's do this. the PT. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, and but yeah, I think. Um, and so one of the things that I am I'm trying my best to do is at every turn and not in an annoying way is, you know, talking to my younger teachers that I work with at school to find out what their plans are for the summer. And I know a lot of people are are traveling or taking classes or may teach summer school for two or three weeks, but we have gotten so creative, I think at camp. And I think a lot of camps have Mm -hmm. um, gotten creative in this way and kind of just jigsawing together some positions because the great people are out there and they just may not be able to commit for a six to nine week stint. Right. But I think having some of that talent and that energy and that connection and that experience, you can't find you can't find it in a lot of other places. So I think well, sometimes totally. it's worth it. Well, and just like you coming back in the classroom, having you know, become a mom and having you know run summer camp for so many years gives you a much deeper understanding or context of the kids, you know, being a young 
teacher, 21, 22, 23 years old, coming out of schools, you've already had a ton of experience working with kids. That's going to make you a better counselor, a better head counselor, a better division head, because you've got that context as well. You know, there's so many of our staff that are so great coming out, having really not very many jobs at all, you know, beforehand, but just think how good they could be had they spent a year in a classroom or two years in a classroom. Yes. And one of the things that whenever... Um, when I was working in staffing and I was interviewing candidates who told me they were in school to be a teacher, I, every single interview, I said, you have to, if it's not at our camp, you have to work as a camp counselor before you go into the classroom, because it will absolutely, it will, it will form the, the kind of teacher that you're going to be, because you're going to get to see children as whole humans, mm-hmm. not just students. Um, you'll learn how to problem solve and think on your feet so much faster than you'll be able to that first year in the classroom where everything just feels like it's on fire and you don't have any, any support. Um, It's funny too, because like, you know, we'll be working at school and there are a couple of people that are, that are in the building that um, have a low tolerance for things changing or for stress. (laughs) Right. And so any little like pivot is a major ordeal. And I'm like, this is nothing. Like, let's go. (laughs) But camp has taught me that. And so I all, like I try to stress like anybody that is going into the teaching profession or any profession where you're going to work with kids, working at camp is going to give you so much more experience than you can get even mm-hmm. in your student teaching or in your first year teaching. All right. So I'm going to make a proposal that every no. master's of education or teacher certificate program has got to do an internship at summer camp. Yes. Yes. Just- Okay, so I have been trying since I started interviewing for camp to get the University of Maryland, and maybe I have to think more like Pennsylvania area, but my, you know, my roots are at Maryland, go Terps, um, Mm. to get, (laughs) to get their, the College of Education to have us as an internship site, because it is, it's, it's, it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. And and especially you talking about the idea of coming back into the classroom with that deeper context, you know, and I did a bunch of education classes as well coming through. Um, I don't remember really, I remember a lot of theory. I remember mm-hmm. a lot, you know, teaching the teachers. I, I remember a lot of classroom preparation. I don't remember a whole lot of, hey, this is what your kids coming through out of that morning. And this is what they're going through at home. And this is how it's going to affect whether or not they turn in their homework, whether or not they're bright and cheery that morning or not. I, I mean, there's so many other pieces that go into that child walking to the classroom. It's just not a sponge waiting to soak up no. your amazing performance knowledge. <laughs> you know. Right. And Which I yours mean, is epic. But, right. I mean, but that's not... In- And I think because like being at camp and getting to do all of those things, like getting to sit down and have, you know, one-on-one conversations with campers where they're sharing, you know, what's going on at home or, you know, issues that they're having with bunkmates or relationships they, you know, don't know how to initiate or conversations they don't know how to initiate. Um, And some of that teaching part, like you absolutely get to work with the whole child um, at camp. And sometimes in the classroom, you're just like, okay, these are my students. I'm just here to teach, but it's so much more than that. Um, and camp, I think has, has re like, uh, realigned that perspective for me, I think for sure. That's awesome. All right. So quick question, is your classroom Mm -hmm. going to be going through, uh, you know, an Olympics or a, uh, or or anything fun? What, what, what traditions are you taking from camp and putting in your, okay. So many, I'm so glad you brought this up. So, um, one of the things that I love most about camp is that we're very intentional about the atmosphere that we set, right? So 
we think about the music, we think about the lighting. And I think about the same things in my classroom, like twinkle lights make everything seem more magical. So there's <laughs> twinkle lights everywhere. Um, and we have in, in our library area is called the Nuge's, Nuge's Corner because Nuge donated a ton of supplies to our classroom. So the Nuge's Corner is super comfy and cozy and dedicated to him. Um, awesome. There's always music playing unless I'm speaking or someone is presenting, um, especially in the morning when the students are coming in. Um, because I think it's like so awkward to walk into like a silent classroom. <laughs> yeah. So weird. Um, and camp has, you know, taught me or reminded me the importance that, you know, that no one is invisible. And mm -hmm. so I stand at my door, I greet my students and they have to greet each other in the morning too. And not just like a, Hey, I'm like, you look them in the eyeballs, you say good morning and you say their name and that they're like, they've never had to do that before. That's awesome. And so I'm like, you, that's how we do this every morning. So it's a habit for them. Um, we play bingo a lot in our classroom with music and fun prizes. And I break out the glow sticks just like we do at camp. Um, I have a snack closet. So we have a little wee snack at 9.50 every morning, um, which is their favorite thing for sure. Of course. Um, and then the other day we were working on nonfiction text features and instead of just doing like a regular scavenger hunt where they were like finding nonfiction text features like bold print headings diagrams yep. I borrowed Kennedy's tiara and I took her scepter and we played Queen's Request yes oh, for nonfiction awesome. text features and they were like what is this game and I'm like hmm, <laughs> yeah. we'll play it so um you know and and it, you know the other thing that was really funny to me too is that one of the fourth grade teachers had recessed the same time as us the other day. And she was teaching her kids how to play steal the chicken. Nice. And my kids were like, what is that game? And I was like, Oh, <laughs> you will be playing all the variations of steal the chicken. And I think a lot of times, you know, teachers, like we get so in our heads about making sure that the academic piece is covered. Mm -hmm. And I think, when you miss out on forming those connections and building those relationships first, then you're just like throwing spaghetti at the wall is what right. it feels like. Right. So my kids know that I love them. I am firm, but warm. We have a good time, but when it's time to get down to business, we get down to business. Yep. But smiling, they, smiling and you're serious. Exactly. So, <laughs> um, so they, I mean, I think, I don't know. I just think that's one of the things that camp taught me better than any of the teacher training that I had as a, you know, going into going into teaching or even in grad school, it was just how important that connection piece is. And if a child feels connected and they feel like somebody sees them and hears them and understands them, they'll move mountains for you. Mm. And it doesn't take 47 weeks of, you know, icebreakers and, co you know, cozy feeling corners or any of that kind of thing. It's just, right. I see you today. Tell me how you're feeling. What did you have for dinner last night? Okay, go get started on your morning work. Yep. And in that 30 second conversation, I know what kind of kid I'm going to get for that day. Makes sense. So, you know, your first time as a, as a teacher, you're, you're a young woman, mm -hmm. um, get into camp, you know, full-fledged adult, you get married, you've got children, you know, you got a lot of stuff going on. Come back into the, the classroom now at a different chapter in your life. Um, how much of the parents changed, if at all? That is a really good question. So I think that our parents, I don't know that it's changed mm -hmm. because even, you know, 15 years ago when I was in the classroom or however long ago, 
um, you had the parents that were super dialed in and super connected. And then the ones that you just like never, never heard anything from. Um, and I did hear a lot of horror stories um, before going back into the classroom about parents who are, you know, siding with their children automatically over the teacher and mm-hmm. kind of figuring out how to how to balance your reality as a teacher, the child's reality as a child, and the, the parents' reality of what they heard coming home. Right. And luckily, I haven't had a ton of that. Um, but I think it's because I am super, super open in my communication. Um and camp has taught me how to have challenging conversations without escalating emotions mm-hmm. um, and how to really listen and hear someone. And so a lot of times with the parents that may be, I don't want to use not combative, but are more defensive at times is typically because they didn't have such a great experience in school themselves as a kid. And so they automatically have a wall up sure. that you have to break through. And so greeting them and making sure I'm like, call me by my first name. Here's my number. If you need me after hours, you know, there's anything that you need. I'll do that for your kid. And so I think that has helped them be like, okay, if my child comes home and says that this happened, this is probably what happened. Or I'm going to ask Miss Dassin and she's going to give me the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. Um, I do think that there's, and you know this, like there's a lot more access to screens. Yeah. Then there was my first go round at teaching and I see it play out on the playground. Has that changed the kids? Well, uh, I guess not. Has that changed? Because better question is in what way has that changed behavior of the children? So it's funny because, okay, so this is like a, a silly example, but mm-hmm. when I used to teach a long time ago, we would do, you know, brain breaks where we would get up and we would dance and be silly together on, you know, on screen, you know, just put on music and dance and be silly. My kids want no part of that. It's too embarrassing. Huh? And they don't want other people looking at them while we're dancing, even if I'm at the front of the room acting so silly. So I'm like, this is something that we're going to work on. And so it's always opt-in. I'm like, if you don't want to do the brain break with us, feel free to have a, you know, sit down and do that, but come on up and we'll dance and do the things. But they're, I don't want to say super self-conscious, but they're already at that age at third grade looking around who's looking, who can see what I'm doing. Um, they, uh, <laughs> they very often will just speak in um, TikTok phrases and oh. because I'm, I am on TikTok because I have to be for work at camp because I got to be plugged in. I got to know what, you yep. know, what's going on in the streets of the kids. And I'm like, how do you know that? Yeah, third grade. <laughs> In third grade, they're eight. Um, And I will say that they're, while they are digital natives, Mm -hmm. what I'm seeing is that they don't really understand functionality of what they're doing. Ah, okay. Well, then they don't have the maturity to understand the context. Okay. Yeah. So that has been an interesting piece. So we've like, and we are a one-to-one device school. So every child has a laptop and has access to it during the day. Mm. And so they know how to Google, they know how to TikTok, they know how to find lots of things, but I'm like, okay, but do you know how to put something in bold print? It's a (laughs) Word document. And so so some of those things, like they're still learning. And so I just say to parents, oh, and I'll go back to one other thing about about working with parents. Um, We had conferences a little while ago and parents were asking for tips and tricks to help their kids become better writers. Mm 
And I said, start a back and forth journal with them. Yeah. Just go write. Just write. Just yeah. write. I'm like, don't check it for grammar. Don't check it for editing. Have yeah. them write the grocery list. And you would have thought that I like had invented the greatest <laughs> idea ever. But I'm like, real world writing mm-hmm. is important. But they don't, they don't have many opportunities to do real world writing. That's not interesting. I remember Mrs. Green, my first grade teacher, very clearly saying, you know, she was a great lady. She said, honey, I don't care if you read the dictionary or if you read the back of a cereal box, just go read. And when you're done reading, yes. go write about what you read. It's like, oh, okay. Yes. And that was, that's yes. how we did it. Absolutely. So I think, um, again, that's one of the things that I love a lot about camp too, is that they have to write actual letters and like yes. learn how to address an envelope and put a stamp on um, but they just don't get that many opportunities to do it. So that's one of the things that I'm bringing back in our classroom is we're writing letters and yeah. we're reading letters and lists and those kinds of things. So they they know how to do that. Well, I heard someone say a long time ago that they really didn't know what they thought until they wrote it down. You know, mm. thinking through stuff, they, they write it down, they look at what they wrote, say, oh, okay, no, I'm not really thinking that, I'm thinking something else, or yep, that's it. You know, and that's, I think, the, the power of putting it down. What else would you take from kind of the camp kid brain, you know, because we get to have, you know, a bunch of time without devices and it's, it's all about community and connection. What would you take from those kids if you could magically transport and put it in your kids in the classroom's brains or their hearts? Sure. Yeah. So, um, we have, you know, two big rules at camp and it's be kind and be helpful. Yep. And so I have incorporated those into my classroom and be on task is our third one. So be kind, be helpful and be on task. Yep. Um, and I think our kids at camp are getting good at this. I think our staff as much as getting better at it too, is just seeing what needs to be done and jumping in and doing it. Got it. And just having, just noticing, right? So we, you know, I, I move things around in the classroom a lot and like who notices that something is in a different spot or someone is upset at the back table, who's noticing that that person is upset at the back table, or this friend doesn't have anyone to play with at recess, who's noticing that? And so when we have our class meetings, we talk a lot about noticing and what it feels like when someone invites you to play a game versus when someone doesn't. Um, or, you know, if you're you're feeling sad that day and someone comes up and is like, hey, I noticed you're down and puts a hand on your shoulder, how can I help? How that makes you feel so different. And they're like, oh yeah. So we're building... We're building that up in our classroom, but I do think that's one of the things that our camp kids do pretty well um, because they spend so much time with each other and they're like brothers and sisters, you know, at camp and especially, you know, on the boy side and the girl side, like living in their cabins, they're so well connected with each other that I don't think a lot of those behaviors go unnoticed by them. And so I think if I could just help these kids become better noticers, yeah. And just seeing what's around and pitching in and helping um, or speaking up. Because, um, you know, at camp, we talk a lot about gratitude, attitude, and courage. And mm-hmm. it's a practice for our kids. So it feels like not old hat, but it feels like this is what we do at right. camp. And so we do the same thing in our class meetings every week where we do gratitudes, bouquets, and beefs. So they get to say something that they're thankful for. They get to give a bouquet to someone who was helpful that week, but whether it's like the lunch lady um, or whoever the case may be, and then any beefs. Like if there's any issues that we need to address, yep. we talk them out as a class. And that just reminds me of how we run our bunk meetings. And if there's anything going on, 
everybody gets a chance to sit down and kind of hash it out together and figure out next steps forward. And if we could just have like bunk meetings everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) We have bouquet and beefs everywhere. That would definitely help out. Communication would definitely improve. It would help out. Um, And I think, you know, our kids at camp are so, so good at being thankful, especially in the lunch, you know, in the cafeteria, in our dining hall yes. line. Yeah, just saying, team. Just saying yeah. thank you and looking people in the eye. And so I, my kids at school have to look at our cafeteria staff in the eye and say, please, and thank you. And the lunch ladies have said to me, your class is one of the only classes that looks up and says anything uh. to us. And I'm like, okay, we're going to work on that. We're going to make this yeah. a movement. It's going to be pervasive through the building. Yeah. But I'm like, they're well, serving you. And it's <laughs> such a little thing. It's such a little thing. And yet it's such a virtuous cycle. I mean, it yes. creates so yes. many good positive, you know, outlays from, from every different direction yep. by simply doing that one thing. Yes. Nobody wants to be in a thankless position. And right. I think people think like, oh, I have to do this big grand gesture to show someone that I appreciate them. And, mm-hmm. and I just tell my students, it's as simple as looking someone in the eyes and saying, thank you. Yep. The, the end. That's, that's, all you gotta do. Okay. Gotta do. So uh, how the heck do you do all of this in, in, you know, the school day? Because it doesn't seem possible that you're doing all this good stuff. And, and this is not just you. I know, yep. you know, you're tip of the spear, but you've got so many teachers across the, the world that's doing it. Just real quickly, I know the campfire is getting down. And you got all this stuff. Yeah. Well, explain your day. What, what's your schedule? Because we know our schedule at camp, which doesn't yes. stop. But what's your schedule at home? Okay. So I get up at about 5 a.m. So I can work out. And I'm at school at 6.15. Holy cow. I'm in my classroom at 6.15. My students walk into the classroom at 7.15. Okay. Got it. So you got an so- hour of, of prep. I have an hour of prep because I try really hard not to stay after school because I want to get home and be with my kids. Got it. So I take my time in the morning. Um, I connect with my across the hall mate, um, who's actually Carter's teacher, um, Mm -hmm. to see if there's anything, you know, big or pressing that we need to do for that day. I set everything up. I turn on our twinkle lights. I put on our diffuser. I put some music on. And I try my best to get organized for the day. But then, you know, things happen. We have drills or the weather is weird and you have to throw your plan out of the window sometimes. And so, you know, you remember me, my very first summer at camp, not my nanny summer, probably, but my DH summer when throwing plans out of a window or pivoting. it was uh, impossible. For yeah, me. not a good thing. Yes. It was impossible. I was like, no, no, this is the thing that we said we were doing. This is the thing that we're doing. And so right. camp has taught me to be flexible and if we don't get to something that day because something else took precedent or I had to spend time, you know, resetting expectations or, you know, building somebody up. Okay. Then, okay. Yeah. And so we'll That's see what it important. looks like. <laughs> it is. And it is more important to me. And I know that my kids will be able to read and write and do the math by the end of the year. Right. But I also need them to know that they have somebody who cares about their general well-being and is excited to see them every day. So I try to make sure that I'm organized and that I've got all of my curriculum set. My lesson plans are done. So I'm not spending a ton of brain power on that piece so that I have more to give in terms of building connections with my students. Got it. All right. And so then the class day is over at what time? Kids roll out at 210. Okay. Um, Teachers are allowed to leave at 2.45. Yeah. 
Um, I typically, you know, stay after a little bit to just <laughs> put all the pieces back together. <laughs> back together. Um, yeah. Because, you know, as great and as helpful as the students are, there's just, you know, there are some things that have to get picked up at the end of the day. Yeah. And then I try my best to reset my desk, lay out things for the next day, um, write my list of like things that went well, if there's a parent that I need to reach out to, mm -hmm. and then I leave it there. And then I go home. That's awesome. Man, that yeah. is, that's, I mean, just the emotional energy that has to go into that. I mean, yes, I guess it's, you know, a nine and a half hour day, which is really long yes. compared to most jobs, you know, but it's, it's not a camp day, but the the amount of effort and thought you have to put into that. And then you multiply that times, uh, God knows how many teachers we have, in yes. the, you know, millions it's, across it's, the world, certainly. it's It's stunning. And I, I heard someone describe teaching as this the other day, and I was like, yes, this is exactly what it is. So it's, you know, imagine you've got seven hours in your workday, and you have seven hour-long meetings in that day, mm -hmm. and you are in charge of all of the meetings and saying all of the words in every meeting for seven hours, and doing it in a way that everyone that is sitting in your meeting for seven hours is engaged in captivated at every moment. And that sounds hideous. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have to bring the magic of camp into it and all of the fun things and take the brain breaks and put on the music and the twinkle lights and just sometimes toss the lesson plan out the window because my kids need more than that because nobody wants to be in a seven hour long Right. Like, no well, and that's what I mean, and you're doing it with Nuja's Corner, but I, I have fond memories of my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Larkins, who had the Fort of Sol Solitude. It literally yes. looked like a little fort. You can go back there and you can read. And now I understand why everybody got an hour in the fort at some point during the day just to read. You had to take a book, you, you had to read, yeah. but that also gave her a little bit of a break. <laughs> yes, 100%. Like we, you know, we end the day with our drop everything and read time. And it is because I need 20 minutes of no one, no one asking me things <laughs> just so that I can <laughs> mentally prepare, you know, to go home for, to my children who are going to ask me for things and I want to be patient with them as well. And so building good reading habits and it allows me to recalibrate. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned your fourth grade teacher because my fourth grade teacher, Mr. Grant was the mm -hmm. first male teacher I ever had. Mm -hmm. And he had a couch in our classroom. And if you finished your work early, you could go sit and read on that couch. And it was, my haven in the yeah. fourth grade. Oh, it's just and the so, best thing. Yeah, best thing. just the best thing. Well, and and a quick plug, I really wish more young men would go into teaching. Yes. Um, you want to talk about, I mean, I, I will... I have so many male teachers in high school, but Coach Maddox, our PE teacher, showed up my first grade year and he left with us after we graduated as seniors because uh, I was at one school kind of all the way mm -hmm. through. He had one of the biggest impacts on me ever. Um, and I wish there were more male teachers yes. going in at the younger age groups, because I think boys need to see that just as much as girls need to see they that. They do, There's absolutely. Well, and, you know, like, everybody responds to a different kind of person. And oh. to only have the same kind of teacher your whole way through, I think, when is it just a disservice. And we've got a wonderful male kindergarten teacher in our building who is just fantastic. Our music teacher is male. We've got a male teacher in fourth grade and fifth grade. No male teachers on the third grade team. But I hope, 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 hope that more gentlemen will join us in this in this incredible work. Awesome. Well, Dana, I, you've got a lot of stuff going on, obviously. <laughs> And I am so pleased <laughs> to be back around the campfire with me and talk yes. about you. I've all, I'm just, I've been so curious about how this experience has been for you. And I really appreciate you spending some time sharing it with everybody. 
Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And I already got my countdown ready for the summer. Oh, here we go. We're ready. All right, Dana. Have a good night. If nothing else, I hope this conversation gives you a deeper appreciation of what teachers go through to educate our children. As always, Dana makes learning fun for everyone, whether it's, you know, you're a third grader or a parent or a summer camp director, Dana's got a lot to share. I don't know of two professions that are more closely related than teachers and summer camp leaders. I think really kind of we're branches on the same family tree, one that focuses on developing the young humans into competent, confident, and educated adult humans. We just come at things a little bit differently, but we can still learn a ton from each other. Having worked with a ton of young people who left the summer camp world in order to become teachers, I know that working at summer camp is a perfect proving ground for those who want to go into the teaching profession. If you think you want to work with kids and teach them, come work at summer camp and you'll really know. And teachers, I'd love to see more of you all back at camp. The kids and the staff can learn so much from playing and working alongside you. Thank you, teachers, for all that you're doing for my kids for everybody else's kids. It is truly a gift that you're giving. Thanks for taking the time to listen. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll leave a five-star review on whatever service you're using. The better the reviews, the more likely these ideas will spread. And please share it with a friend. Our campfire circle is big enough for everyone. Until we speak again, do good and be good. Thanks again to our friends at Scope for sponsoring the Campfire Conversation podcast. Scope stands for Summer Camp Opportunities Promote Education. They provide children from underserved communities with life-changing opportunities through the experience of summer camp. Scope campers benefit from a positive, safe, and healthy environment led by excellent role models who give them the chance to develop their full potential. We both believe that summer camp reinforces what children learn in school and enhances overall academic learning. If you would like to help give some wonderful children a life-changing experience, I hope you'll join me in supporting Scope. You can find them online at scopeusa.org and on social media at support scope.